curse is because we are not to be affiliated with any governmental organization or be construed as being affiliated, we have to be very careful. We don't ally ourselves with the government, with competing factions or whatever, so that is always a challenge as well. And we have subject matter experts that are really good at that and guide us on that. And space. Um, if you look at a large-scale disaster, um, Bahamas is an example, um, uh, Mozambique to a smaller degree, but a, a, a bigger disaster. We compete for space in the Samaritan's Purse world because Samaritan's Purse not only does medical, they also do sheltering. So we have thousands of rolls of tarp, blue tarp. We have uh, kits for cooking. We have kits for uh, blankets. We have cook, uh, kits for uh, sanitation. We have water sanitation capabilities. So we have to make sure that we are as compact as we can because we compete for space. And we've done that, and that gets back to the systems comment I made earlier, where we have the hospital that's shrunk, uh, not quite, but almost as small as it can be so we don't take up all the space on the aircraft because we have to be there quickly, as, as, as we talked about in speed. Next slide. This is a good, uh, good picture of the DC-8 that Samaritan's Purse owns. Um, that is, uh, actually uh, resides in Greensboro. North Carolina, about an hour or so drive from our warehouse in Wilkesboro. And this, this is an example, I think, from Ecuador of the offload of some of the equipment. You can kind of see now the, the, the um, I'm going to point, but where the pink or the red uh, boxes are, that metal piece under there, we call it a cookie sheet. And there are, I think, eight or nine of them that fit in the DC-8. So that's the other thing, too, about space allocation. We have to make sure we don't take up a whole lot of space because there's a lot more stuff going, potentially. Yeah, thank you. And then the, thing, the green box, um, that's just uh, one of our what we call pallets or sleeves that we can put a lot of equipment. That's kind of what we do. We put them in sleeves, that cardboard uh, container, or we put them in wooden boxes, snap grates. So we are as compact and as efficient as we can be. Next slide. Again, looking at the cookie sheet there, getting unloaded from the DCA to push us forward, and then they just put, kick it out, and then it gets manhandled or lifted with uh, material handling equipment and put on whatever conveyance there is available to move stuff. Next slide. Uh, this is, again, uh, what sometimes things look like in the, in the confusion or just getting stuff uh, in a hurry to get things onto the ground and operational and set up. Uh, that's just all of our assorted equipment, both medical equipment and just non-medical equipment or just stuff that we need. Like there's a global a box there, that global, that's a fan. And then we use the buckets. You can see it'll get a sense of the stuff we have. A lot of stuff for this hospital, and we have a lot of uh, loose parts that we have to put together and put in the right location and get operational. Next slide. All right, so this is the hospital interior. This tent is called a, t a TMM3. It comes in three sections. Um, and we set that up, and it's, uh, it's airframe, which means we have pumps to, to blow it up. It takes maybe, maybe a couple of hours or so, but um, depending, uh, to get fully operational, but, but uh, uh, for the tent, or the tents, I should say. Once that, that tent is zipped up, or the three pieces, we actually have zippers now instead of, we used to um, put them together with string, rope. Once that tent gets set up, it takes... 15 minutes or so to blow up, and it's huge. That's what we put our emergency room in. 
and that's what this is right here, combination emergency room and uh, um, IC, well, no, the IC goes to the temp, but that's the emergency room in Ecuador. And you can kind of see how large that is. And then we have lights in there that we string up, and then it has a, a floor, and then it has other pieces that we can put other tents and affix them to, and that's kind of what we, that's the hub of our, uh, of our hospital. The hospital in Ecuador, from the time it was offloaded to, uh, from the uh, airplane till it was operational, as you see that, it was 11 hours. That's pretty good. I don't think we've matched that, at least since I've been here. Um, and it's not my, sort of my doing or undoing. But Ecuador was a special um, case where you had a lot of people helping out. You didn't need to prep the ground. You just put it up and blew it up and operated it. That was wonderful. Probably the ideal situation, not the standard and not the, ex, the uh, way we've done it uh, since then. But that just gives you an idea. Next slide. Next slide. Left Mo, uh, Mozambique about a day and a half or so. And how we do it is um, how many nurses are in here? How many nurses do we have? And I should have asked at the beginning. My apologies. Nurses, physicians, logisticians, uh, physical therapists, occupational therapists, dentists. Got one dentist in the back there. Um, okay. So what we do on a DART is when we deploy, we usually deploy with a smaller team of medical professionals, nurses, doctors, etc., and they're the ones helping set this up. So it's not that we set everything up with a couple of setup build guys and then they show up. They are absolutely key and essential to our setup. And so um, that's why we can do this quickly. The tent, the, the, uh, the um, ERU on the left was in Mozambique. That's all what we call NRS tents. Those are all metal frame tents. That's why it didn't take that long to set it up. The black um, tent with the Samaritan's Purse logo on the top is our operating room. That, again, is a metal frame tent. And then on the right is the Bahamas. Fourteen, approximately 14 tents, the blow-up variety. That took two-plus days probably closer to three. And the limiting factor for that was that we had to lay gravel onto the ground. And we had to lay gravel onto the ground, a couple of ton worth of gravel, using buckets, those Lowe's buckets you saw on the previous slide. Doctors, nurses, old guys, young guys. We were slinging rock for about six or seven hours. In the middle of the day in Bahamas, it was about 100, about 95 degrees. Why? We had no other option. So we kind of do it what we have to do, and that's, you kind of see, um, we were trying to make it as waterproof as possible, and it didn't really work out that well. All right, next slide. Uh, this is another example, and Elliot shows you this slide to only show the perceived chaos that goes in. Have you been in any kind of health uh, facility? any kind of emergency room or anything when it's, when it's active and you have lots of patience and movement, you can relate to this picture. It's no different in the field. Okay? Uh, a lot of activity going on, uh, assessing patients, determining that what they need, what they, where are they going to go after they get treated, stabilized, or, heaven forbid, if they are terminal and they need to be moved somewhere else, you just do the triage. After you don't, this is after triage, but this is treatment, and then we move on to perhaps a ward or to the intensive care unit or to an operating room. And that's what this kind of shows you and all the professionals. The guy handing his arm up like this, uh, that's 
Uh, that's Jeff Subra. And as I said, he's out on the uh, display as we speak. Next slide. Um, this is uh, Kelly Seitz, who is uh, one of our DART nurses, um, who has been on probably most of the deployments that SP's done for a while, uh, running a uh, running a supply clinic or supply process in support of a clinic. And this is what happens, too, for our DART folks. We, in DART training, are very, very, very specific about telling you, be flexible. How many times do we say that? Maybe 50 times. And when you go thinking you're going to do a job, most of the time it's not going to be what you actually end up doing. So a couple of times I've grabbed a nurse who was a clinician, obviously, she's a nurse, and said, you are now managing my whatever on the logistics side. Just you got to do what you got to do. So Kelly got to do the short straw that day and got to manage the supplies and getting set up for the clinic. I think this is this Dominica. This is, yeah, Dominica. Next slide. Again, a, uh, an example. Elliot just uses this picture just to show you, you know, kind of the dedication and the operation uh, that we provide, the services we provide in the field uh, in an OR or an ICU. Next slide. Uh, digital, digital radiography. The other thing, too, is, is, and I'll talk a little bit about it now, is that when we do DART training, and if you ever do this for Samaritan's Purse or pretty much any other organization you go that does international disaster response, it's very difficult sometimes for some providers at least to impart that we're not talking about Western standards. It's not that we are um, diminishing who we're serving or putting them in any less than category that they don't deserve the best we can provide. But the way, uh, you know, in a non-judgmental or non-condescending way is, we can give them uh, Mayo Clinic treatment. We can give them mass general treatment in the Congo and give them the best services possible and expend all kinds of resources, and then they go where for aftercare? After they're out of your hospital, they go where? They go no place that can provide the level of services we do. So we take great pains to teach our staff that you're not talking about Western style or Western standard of care. You're talking about adequate care in the context of the health service system in which you operate. So you have to understand that. And our, if any of you know Elliot Tenpenny, he always, always has the conversation with the providers, and it sometimes starts and ends with no. Propofol, no, you're not going to have that. Uh, pain, you know, pain meds. Sometimes you'll need Tylenol, where you really want something else. And it's it's in the standard of field medicine. It's austere, and it's very very rudimentary. And that's one thing that we have, on occasion, have had problems with with folks. To be honest, but by and large, it just it's it's the understanding that that's what we're there for to do as well as we can in the context and the environment in which we operate. We do have, however, some Modern equipment, obviously, we're a, a field hospital, but we have DIGRAD. We have, um, you know, uh, military technology that we use. Uh, our portable oxygen generation system uh, comes directly from the military. Our operating room, our OR table called a DOKES table, and the special operations guys used. So we in, uh, try to incorporate some of that in our operation, but we are also very austere in what we spend. We don't want to spend a lot of money. 
want to get the best for the best value because we are not, you know, trying to be good stewards of the resources given to us by folks who are donors or other uh, agencies that give us money. Next slide. This is kind of a funny thing that, that we also have systems in place and trying to provide support to folks, and I'll, I'm not being cute about it, but, you know, they're kind of like sometimes providers are kind of like teenagers. You know, I want, 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 want. We can't give you everything you want. You're going to get what you get. And so that's what the sign is about is, is our pharmacist saying, no, 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 you can't really, you can't have this stuff right now. We need to either make it stretch or this is something for some use, other use. And I think that was, um, was that, yeah, Mike, was that Mike's? We did that. Actually, that was in Iraq and that was in Bahamas, so it kind of it follows us wherever we go. Next slide. All right, so I'm going to talk a little bit about kind of now backing into a little more detail and kind of giving you a sense of how it all fits together. I've told you kind of a little bit about what, what we do and how we do it. This kind of goes into now. Um, the system, the systemic piece of it, how we've designed our processes to be as mobile and as quick as we can and have the systems in place to make sure that we can respond with the appropriate capability. So I've told you all about that. We are scalable. I mentioned that to you. We, can, we did this um, for Mozambique. We, had a, we have a canned, uh, basically an equipment list with supplies and equipment for our Tier 2. We have that. I can tell you, go in, I have an Excel spreadsheet. We had to go in, Elliot and I, and we're not going to take that, we're going to take that, we're not going to take that, we're going to take that, to tailor, organize, and scale that capability down. Um, and we can be uh, flexible, and we can obviously be applicable to the situation. On the right, then, are the current, and this is a little data, this slide, because even as we speak today, we're still modifying some of these systems or modifying some of these units. We're building a small surgical team that basically is able to be either man-portable and put in a backpack or check bags so that a surgical team can go out and provide um, on-site care quickly. Next slide. So it's a bad picture, but that's what the spreadsheet looked like when Elliot was working on it, and it's, you know, it's huge of all the stuff that we have. Next slide. Just click on it. Now we move into how to make order out of chaos. And what Elliot did then is we took the, the capabilities and just essentially color-coded them. So we have on the, on the left, we have um, for Tier 1, which is essentially an outpatient clinic. It could be used for cholera treat, but it could be used for some small response that's not surgical, it's just medical. We have then two tiers, Tier 1 and Tier 2. Um, I'm sorry, wave one and wave two, and then it's, it's uh, you know, some stuff in wave one and some stuff in wave two. Same thing for tier two medical, tier two surgical, and then tier three is the large capability. The way Elliot and, and I think even Lance, when you had this, the way you designed it was that they stack on each other. So you don't have it as a discrete. So in other words, tier three is not tier three over there, and it's separate. Tier 3 is components of Tier 2, medical and surgical. It's components of Tier 1, so it builds on itself. So that I'm not buying four or three separate sets of equipment. I have a little bit of, of Tier 3 that is also part of Tier 2, Tier, tier 1, etc. It's, it's essentially a building block or Lego blocks. And it's a pretty slick system because it's efficient and we can manage it better.
and it's less costly for Samaritan's Purse and our donors. Next slide. Uh, we're kind of going back and forth here. Site readiness. Um, that's an issue for us. Uh, we're looking at capabilities, maybe some mobile, uh, some material handling equipment that allows us to do a quicker job and do it less manpower intensive. I can tell you that when we were in Bahamas moving, I don't know how many hundreds of buckets of gravel for seven hours or six hours, but that wears on your staff. And the thing, too, is as soon as you go into operations, the same people that were moving it now are operating or doing other things. It's not a great system. So we're looking at ways to improve that. And then we have also um, water and, and hygiene issue that we have a wash team. We have wash equipment that comes to the hospital. You have to have clean water for the, sort of the operating room. You've got to have clean water for the staff to, to have. And we come with those capabilities for water purification and water provision. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. Uh, go to the, to the far right one. Go, oh, I'm sorry, go back. The one that, that system on the right is a water um, treatment system. And that thing weighs about, maybe we unloaded it in the Congo, about 700, 800 pounds. We have now trained, changed from that piece of equipment to something that can fit into a, like a go bag. So we're always improving. Next slide. Just keep going. Uh, EFH talked about that. More, more slides on the equipment. Go ahead. Uh, keep going. Keep going. Uh, keep going. And I want to go to the Tier 3. All right. Tier 3. Go back one. Thank you. So the Tier 3, um, again, it, it is additive, and it really is the point when you have the maximum amount. You have two, two operating rooms and then the intensive care beds, and you all four to six and then 40 inpatient beds. And I think in Iraq they may have had 60 or even more. Again, the Taylor organization because of really only additional beds and tents that we have. So that's the full-up round capability that we've got. Um, we have not deployed any of that since Iraq. All of our deployments in the last uh, two years have been either Tier 2 or Tier 1, which are the smaller surgical units or like the clinics, outpatient clinics. The Bahamas was the last. It's really a, a true two-tier surgical unit that we sent, and we did that several months ago, and that's still operating right now. And we've had well over two to 3,000 patients, even I think 7,000 patients, yeah, 7,000 patients, and... Uh, one operating room that's been kept busy uh, continually. And um, it's we're now on our, Kelsey, what the, what's the tranche of, of staff that we've sent through now? Yeah, about four, pardon? 400 staff so far and about the fourth or fifth wave. Next slide. Just, a, just some more details on, on what we do uh, in the field, the types of tents. I'm just going to not bore you too much on this. Go ahead and go. Uh, just the types of tents we use, carports. Next slide. And we use Lost Burger. These are tents that are used for our operating room and, again, our airframe. They're super heavy, but they're really good capabilities, and they're self-contained. We can heat them or cool them, um, and uh, they uh, provide us with a pretty good uh, venue for the operating room. It's not totally sterile, but it's, it's as close as we can get. Next slide. And then uh, you can see the staff tents. This, is again, is Iraq. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. More pictures of the TMF3. Next slide. Next slide. Um, this is an example of no tents. This is an example of a cholera treatment, or at least the start of one, in Haiti. Right? This is TARP. Right? And this is typical of a response, perhaps, when we have to get there quick and make do with what we have. 
right? Did you go in this? this did you live it? Yeah, so you and, and Lance were there. This is Haiti in the early parts of the response. Next slide. And keep going. Uh, more pictures of Elliot there signing. That was in, uh, in Honduras when he turned over the hospital to the local Ministry of Health representatives. Next slide. Again, Kelly Seitz. And I think I've got one more slide, but I'm going to, because it, it's a, it's a, it, when it, you, you click on it, it goes into the video. Um, and to just cap off, um, we have DART members, uh, again, the heart and soul of what we do in the response with the people. We have DART members that are range from the 20s to fairly old folks. And we don't have, um, we have a range of, of that age group in this room. And a lot of folks think to be a DART member for Samaritan's Purse or to serve, you have to be young and really, you know, uh, in great shape. And um, so Elliot kind of points to one of our docs, Glenn, is it Darden? Yeah. Who, um, in this video, he tells you how old he is. But this kind of busts the, uh, the thought that, you know, you've got to be a young person to really respond. I can tell you that it's very physically demanding. Uh, speaking from personal experience, um, and it's just, but it's much more rewarding and, and more um, enjoyable. And again, this is not a pitch for DART, but this gives you an, a sense of when we respond to an emergency for Samaritan's Purse, you know, the center of gravity are the people that we bring with us, and it's also the people that we serve. And it is so gratifying, and those of you that are in here doing missions and mission work and either have done it or planning to do it, if you're young and, and going into this business, you know what we're talking about. It's very gratifying. It's an honor and a privilege to do this. And we've, and those of us that have done this in the Samaritan's Purse world can say that uh, absolutely with no, uh, no you know, um, uh, hesitation to say, it's an honor. And when we see people like we saw in Iraq, we've seen in Mozambique, all the, all the places we've been to, and those of you that have deployed as well feel the same way, I, I would think and hope. Um, now, I've been kind of joking around, but we've got folks here in this area who are from Samaritan's Purse. Lance Plyler, who was World Medical Missions Director. He's been a while. How long have you been at SP? How long have you? Uh, about, well, eight years ago. Eight years, and he's been on a lot of deployments. Uh, he's a physician. And um, Dave Buckland's been on quite a few deployments. He and I have deployed together. Jim Moore and Cindy Utley, who has been, well, we've deployed several times, and uh, Bahamas, and, uh, and then we were down in, uh, in Mozambique. And we're available to talk to you if you want to know about Samaritan's Purse a little bit about what we do and how we operate. I hope this has been somewhat of a little bit of an introduction or at least educational period of time to kind of tell you what SP is about. And it's all about, again, the mission and what we get to do. I've been with SP about a year and about 14, 15 months, and it's been, I think, the fifth deployment. Uh, So we're we're pretty busy, do a lot of stuff and get into our, um, into the international arena quite frequently. So I'd like to, Ben, I think it's, I think it's the next slide. Go ahead. I have been blessed by the Lord uh, so far as my mind seemingly working all right and having steadiness of hands. And it, it 
the Lord has blessed me in that manner, then I want to be sure that I'm using it. So that's that's why I've remained available uh, in regards to this work. Every patient is very much an individual, and each one has a unique set of needs. People that have no stake in the conflict are getting just devastated. You want to do more than your than your physical. We ran into the uh, technical bug there, but um, 78 years old at the time of this video, and that was probably two to three years ago. Actually, I saw him in, down in Orlando a couple months ago, and uh, he is still he is still volunteering. He was with us in the Bahamas. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Wonderful. So, um, no, thank you for kind of putting up with me for almost 50 or so minutes. Um, are there any questions or comments from yes, sir? Question, yeah. preparation uh, phase, I mean, do, do you, because you're independent of state authorities, right. uh, site preparation and ongoing security uh, clearance operations, et cetera, do you have people that do that for you? Or do you we, we do. We do. Um, on on uh, When we deploy... Um, and on the Emmet, there's a security um, person, but when we deploy, we are supported by the folks in security. And it depends on where we're going to, if we're going to be um, subsumed underneath the country office, because the country office have either country security folks or regional security folks, but we would be supported by them, or they may send someone from Boone, which is where we're headquartered, um, with the actual deployment. Um, the the one that was of most, I think, in my mind, because I was there, uh, was the Congo, DRC. And we had a um, someone from the country office, and he worked with us almost full-time in Comanda. And it was very, um, it was an interesting situation, without going into too much detail. But there was a lot, and I, I, I mentioned this one time to a group, and they kind of misunderstood this, so I'm hopefully it won't be misunderstood, but... He was so well connected in that area that when the rebels were going to attack a location, they would call him. Not that they were asking for his approval or they were asking for his, it was just, he would, and he would say, just don't mess with the people in Samaritan's Purse, you know, and looking out for, but it wasn't that he was dictating or orchestrating it, the point being that, yes, we did have security, we always have security, that's of utmost importance. And any time we have a security breach, then it's managed as if we are, you know, it's a breakdown in the system. So it's we have the alarms, we have all those electronic capabilities. When we move in a, uh, and we're in an insecure area, then we have to make sure that there are protocols in place. And in the Congo, we had an escape route, we had an escape plan, we had practice, we had drills to make sure that we are, you know, planning for that contingency. And we had a couple, uh, yeah, we had a... Uh, my colleague over here, Ben, was uh, involved in a, or not involved, but witnessed uh, an issue and was sort of whisked away and taken care of in, in a sense. But, um, yes, we do. And so, that again, that's the systems piece of it. You know, we're all tracking on how to make sure that we're safe because that's the last thing we want is our you know, staff or our patients to be unsafe. Any other questions? Ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. 
to the folks. Uh, I did not realize that when we leave, everything stays there. For, yes, yeah. I mean, we don't, Samaritan's Purse doesn't yeah. pack, pack up anything and bring it back. Yeah. We, we, uh, the question was, uh, she said when she was a DART member, didn't realize that we, when we set up a hospital like in Iraq, or the, the pictures that I showed you, generally speaking, we leave most everything there. There are some things that we take out that we need to reuse. Um, Jim, like what, what kind of piece of equipment will we take? Small handheld chemistry analyzer that they can yeah. use anyway. Yeah. Most all the equipment, the, the structures, all yeah. the monitoring equipment, the x-ray, all the equipment that yeah. will allow them to continue to operate as a hospital. Right. Somebody else is going to take it over and continue using it. Yeah. I think the one in Ecuador is still being used. It's still being used. And we also take um, efforts to assimilate with the local uh, health agency or authorities. And then... The plan with Samaritan's Purse is also to hire local staff. So we'll have nurses, doctors. We do in the Bahamas. We will change over. Um, you know, we'll, we'll have their staff take the equipment and then train them if necessary. We still have folks like Dave's biomedical technicians that are that are overseeing it until we can turn it over and ensure that it's it doesn't just sit there and won't be used. But but because of our our donors and the ability that we have to provide these this type of equipment. We do leave our things there, and, and ideally they will be reused and, and put to good use by the locals. Yeah. Sir? Yeah. Pardon? Say that one more time. For those who work yes. in the medical profession, doctors and nurses, yes. how do you tell your, what's the, what do you tell your boss? Right. You're on right. For how long do you leave? That's one separate. Yeah. And number two, how do you, what do you do with visas in, the, in that short period of time? Yeah. So, so um, I'm going to, I'm going to, like a good, you know, a good, I'm going to punt. A problem transferred is a problem solved in my book. So I'm going to ask Kelsey, who is our dark person here, to answer part of the question. And I, And so did you hear the question, Kelsey? So it was, yeah, what do you do to talk to your boss about this, about being a DART member, and then visas? How does it work? Um, so with regards to the DART roster, a huge thing for us is availability of staff to deploy. And so that's something that we talk about through the interview process at the get-go. Um, we ask our staff to be able to deploy for two weeks to 30 days at a time, uh, up to <laughs> one to three times a year typically, and then leave time needs to be anywhere from yeah, the same day notice to... Talk about the training required to become a heart member. Briefly. Um, a lot of our nurses work PRN. Um, some do travel nursing, and then we'll deploy the people primary contract. Um, and then we have a lot of clinical staff write it into their contract. When you fill out that, I'm not inept. I'm apt. Just, just put, I'm not inept. I'm apt. Doctors then it will come back and then teach kind of on what they saw and the cases that they had uh, back at their hospital. Uh, we do have a lot of staff that are retired as well, and that lends itself to a good amount of availability. Um, on the non-medical side, people are self-employed. They take time off. Um, it really varies across Thank the board. Um, and then with regards to visas, again, it kind of changes depending on the country. Uh, a lot of times in natural disasters specifically, there are certain um, opportunities for some Stephen, are you an Aggie? 
Yeah, it would be useful to talk at length with those folks. And also Jim Moore asked me to maybe mention a little bit about the training requirements. That If you go and talk to Kelsey, she'll explain it. They do a dark course. Um, it's currently four days or five days roughly in Boone, um, North Carolina, where Samaras Purse is headquartered. And that then prepares you then for the application. Once, you, once you've been accepted and applied and you're, then you go to the dark training, then you're essentially qualified. But there are, um, as she said, we have people that are on the tether, like I mentioned earlier, within hours. You know, we keep track of these folks to make sure that they are available. And um, there's a guy in the, in the video who's a nurse in Ohio that part of his employment contract stipulates that it has to, they have to allow him to respond. Now, not necessarily like on a dime, you know, or a moment's notice, but at least be responsive. And he puts it in his contract. Just a thought. So go talk to Kelsey and, uh, and and Cindy when you can. Any other? It's now time. I've exceeded my time by a few minutes, but thank you so much. And if you want to talk to us, please feel free to come on up and chat with us. Thank you.